Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. I trust you're being blessed by this series that we've been doing on the book of Hebrews. Uh, if you've missed any of them, we are uh, today we are going to begin talking about Hebrews chapter 6. So we have filmed a great deal of programs already on this subject. If you have missed any of them, uh, you can go back to our YouTube page and watch them at your leisure on demand at any time. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes or our RSS feed for Android devices and be able to come up to date with what we're sharing on the book of Hebrews. All of those things are available to you on demand. And probably the easiest way uh, to get to those is to simply go to my website at lynnhiles.com. I'm sure that's also on the screen. And there is a link directly from our website to our YouTube page to our RSS feed to our iPod uh, or our iTunes uh, podcast, and you can go back and uh, get into that. Uh, I'm going to get into the Word uh, again this week and just begin to springboard. Last week, of course, we were talking about being exercised in the Word of righteousness and having your senses exercised to know good and evil. And uh, this whole series, I believe, uh, really is... Uh, a incredible treatise. Whoever wrote this, if it wasn't the Apostle Paul, whoever it was that penned these words, it came from the Holy Spirit. But Hebrews chapter 13, I believe it is verse 9, says that, that the, one of the purposes for the book of Hebrews is so that your heart can be established in grace. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to have an understanding in your head of grace. It's another thing to have your heart established in grace. We're going to pick up in chapter 6 here in just a few moments, but it says in verse 1 of chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews, if you have your Bible or you have your device, uh, might as well get it out and dig in with me today because we're just going to dig in the Word of God. We're going to mine for the unsearchable riches of Christ here today and find the treasures that are hidden. But he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now, let me just say uh, what he's saying, first of all, is therefore, leaving the principles. Anytime you see the word, therefore, you need to understand what it's there for. And so what this is, is he's, he's given you five chapters of probably one of the most incredible treaties of new covenant truth that you can imagine. Because he's giving, the, uh, to, he's giving to these Hebrews, as I've already established in prior segments, he's writing to Hebrews, that's the audience, a Jewish audience of Hebrews. He told them in chapter 1 they were living in the last days, and we showed you that it was the last days of the Old Covenant. As we came into chapter 2, we discovered that, uh, that uh, Jesus uh, is a better mediator than Moses and that the covenant that God gave with the New Covenant was not delivered by the hand of angels, but it came through the hand of the Son of God Himself. 
in chapter 3, uh, uh, he, there is, uh, uh, he is better than Moses. In chapter 4, there is a better promised land than just a piece of real estate. It's rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, in chapter latter part of chapter 5, there's a better priesthood. Uh, there is a priesthood that's better than Levi. And that priesthood can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. And so the introduction here that is going on in the book of Hebrews is he is laying the foundation, or he is giving, I believe, one of the most incredible legal arguments of what is better about the new covenant than the old. And this whole book of Hebrews is about what's more excellent, what's better. There's a better tabernacle. There's better sacrifices. There's a better priesthood. There's a better tabernacle. There's a better promised land. There's a better city. Uh, it's just full. And then, then it comes back, and there's better blood. Uh, there's better sacrifices. Then he comes back and talks about there's a more excellent way, a more excellent ministry. Everything about this is trying to convince the Hebrew mindset to leave behind the elementary principles about the doctrine of Christ. In other words, by the time you get to chapter 6, he's not telling you to leave Christ. He's telling you by now you should be established in the word of righteousness. By now you should have an understanding or a grip on the doctrine about Christ and that He in fact is Messiah and that it is time then to lay aside these things and let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Now, uh, you know, uh, when I think about that, one of the most powerful, I believe, repentance services we would ever have would be to have folk that need to repent from dead works. Because that's the whole theme again here, is moving from law to grace, from dead works and serving God out of a performance-based religious system that you could never, that could never bring you to perfection, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, not laying again that foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, you ought to be what Paul is saying. Therefore, since we've got this established now, for five chapters we've showed you there's a better priesthood, there's better promises, there's a better covenant, there's a new covenant, there's a, there's a new garment, uh, there is a new day. There's a, everything about this has transferred and changed. These Hebrews are about 30-some years into the new covenant, and they are having difficulty walking away from the traditions that they've walked into or they have walked through for literally hundreds of years. I can't imagine how difficult it would be uh, the change that was taking place uh, at this particular season. But he's saying to them, let's therefore, leaving the principles about the doctrine about Christ, let's go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, not just, uh, not just a repentance from sin, but a repentance from dead works, a turning from this legalism of an old covenant that could not, as this chapter will go on to say, that, there, that could not produce perfection, that, that perfection was not possible based on the law. Uh, what I will say to you about perfection is simply this. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, one of my favorite texts to preach from, 
Jesus is beginning again to teach, I believe, uh, the transition from law to grace as he comes in one of his first sermons on the Sermon on the Mount, what is commonly called the Beatitudes. You say, what is a Beatitude, Dr. House? Well, it's an attitude you need to be in. <laughs> Uh, a beatitude, these attitudes were attitudes that will cause you to be able to move from law to grace. Uh, they are, in other words, he said, you're blessed if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You've got to understand that he was talking to a bunch of people who already thought they were righteous based on their performance. These scribes, Pharisees, and holy dudes standing there thought they already had it together. But he said, you're blessed if you get hungry and thirsty for righteousness because he was about to introduce another kind of righteousness that was not based on dead works, but was based on a free gift because of the abundance of grace. And watch this, the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. That was the righteousness that I believe he was teaching them. If you get hungry for it, you're about to be filled because Jesus was there not just to make more promises, he was there to deliver the promise. He said to them, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit. That doesn't mean you go around with your head hung down, you're in the mully grubs. It simply means that you have come to a place where you realize, listen, uh, uh, under this old covenant paradigm, I am in a spiritual deficit. But Jesus was about to preach a message that wasn't full of deficit, it was full of supply. He said, if you're, if you're poor in spirit, you're about to be filled. Uh, you know, and so the Beatitudes going down through there teach us how to, first of all, receive the kingdom, and then uh, secondly, how to release and minister to the kingdom, because then he goes on to say, blessed are the peacemakers. And so what he's saying is that once you receive the kingdom, then you can become a dispenser of the kingdom. And uh, man, there's so much to share here, but the truth of it is, is that what happens is, is the shift from law uh, to grace does not leave you without a government. It really shifts you from the government of law and the government of, uh, uh, the book of Corinthians says, the government of death written on stone. Uh, and it shifts you from the government of death written on stone to the government of living spirit, where the Spirit of God does the work in you as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I might just say while I'm, I'm talking about that, that this latest book that I wrote, From Law to Grace, will give you a great understanding about how the kingdom replaced the law. He doesn't leave you without a form of government, but the kingdom was there and it was at hand and it was the government of living spirit in the life of the believer. And so Jesus is coming down through there teaching the Beatitudes, literally bringing them to an understanding that this old covenant system is bankrupt. It cannot supply life for you. It cannot produce perfection. And so then he, uh, he begins to talk about righteousness further even in this chapter. And he says to them, uh, to the common people standing there, he said, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom. And so it was as if Jesus was upping the ante. It would almost be like a uh, saying to a Catholic, for instance, except your righteousness exceeds that 
of the Pope, you'll in no wise enter the kingdom. Well, what that would do to the common people say, well, then I'm, I'm totally out. I, I, I can't do this. This is impossible for me. But then about the time that he says that to the common people and uh, the ho holy dudes, I call them the holy dudes, are standing back there going, yeah, I thank God I'm not like that sinner. And, uh, you know, they've got their broad phylacteries and their long prayers for pretense. But the reality of it is, is that theirs is simply a facade. It is a, uh, if you will, a contrived righteousness or a performance-based. And then Jesus turns on those holy dudes and He says to them, Your law says, do not kill. But I say, if you hate your brother, you're a killer. And uh, the holy dudes are going, oh God, I didn't, you know, I've I become a professional at acting like I love my brother. But in reality, uh, I can act that, but it hasn't changed my heart. So Jesus is not just talking about the act there. He's talking about the heart condition. He goes on to say, uh, He only gives them two laws. And he's, he's giving them, what He's doing is, they are demanding of Him, to, He's teaching the law unwatered down because what has happened is these scribes and Pharisees have made the law manageable to make themselves look holy and above the rest of the people. It's kind of this hypocritical thing that had a, a you know, a, a, an unbelievable demand that really that seemed like the common people couldn't keep. But Jesus turns on them again and says, He says to them, if you look upon a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery already in your heart. And so Jesus was upping the ante that it's not just the act, but it's the heart condition. And then He says to them again, right below the whole if you look upon a woman to lust, you've committed adultery. He says, uh, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And, uh, you know, if your hand offends you, cut it off. And, and all of a sudden, you know, people will shift gears there when they're teaching that and spiritualize that. They'll say, you know, well, that's, that's, that's you know, uh, Jesus didn't mean that literally. Listen, Jesus was teaching the law. And under the law, if your eye offends you, you plucked it out. It was an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth. You know, it was all of these things that, that were literal and natural. But see, what he was simply saying is, even if you poke your eye out or you cut your hand off, it still does not deal with the heart. But the gospel of grace will not just deal with your actions. It will deal with your heart. And so the whole point of Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus is giving the law unwatered down to disqualify everybody standing there to show them that uh, none of them are making it on the basis of the law of the Mosaic system. Because the last thing He does in chapter 5 of Matthew 5 is He says to them, the last verse, But be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so he finally puts the nail in the proverbial coffin when he says to them, listen, nothing less than perfection is acceptable. Nothing less than perfection even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, is acceptable. And based on what he taught in Matthew 5, what nobody in that group insiders, outsiders, holy dudes, or the common people that were making this. What He was doing was concluding them all under sin so He could have mercy on all, bringing them to a realization that, that perfection, as Hebrews 6 is saying here, 
uh, is not going to be something that is a performance-based thing. As a matter of fact, one of the things I discovered in studying this sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews is that the word perfection here is not a verb. It's not something you do. It's a noun. So it is something that you become. And so what happens is, is when you get in the perfect one, your perfection is no longer based on your performance. And so when I started seeing, you, you know, I mean, I can remember studying in Sunday school and uh, classes and having arguments over Matthew 5, be ye therefore perfect. And people argued, can you be perfect? Uh, is it possible to be perfect? Of course, when you look at the criteria again in Matthew chapter 5, ain't nobody making it there. Nobody made it based on that. But as we go into the book of Hebrews a little bit further, and I'm going to jump ahead even though we're going to touch this when we get there, but it tells you how um, that we are perfected, and it goes on to say, uh, but Christ, this is chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit uh, offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So he's talking about moving on, not laying again the foundation of, of, of faith toward God and repentance from dead works. This is the dead works he's talking about. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he's to be the end of a New Testament that by the means of death, uh, for the transgression that were under the first testament, which were uh, are called, might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, let me move over then in, with that thought into chapter number ten. It says it says in uh, chapter ten uh, of uh, Hebrews. Verse number 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first, he's talking about the first covenant, that he might establish the second. That's the new covenant. By the which will we are sanctified. Here's what I'm after. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he tells us in verse number 10, chapter 10, verse 10, that our sanctification is not based on our performance. It's based on the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every high priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Here's, what, here's the powerful verse that you've got to get this. For by one offering, verse 14, He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that He said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds. Will I write them and their sins and iniquities? I will remember no more. Now what I'm after in this segment is he's talking to them again about moving on from, uh, let us go on to perfection, not laying again 
the foundation of repentance from dead works, moving from a law-based, performance-based religious system to a faith towards God. In other words, this is not the just will live by faith. But the perfection that he's talking about here finds the criteria for new covenant perfection in chapter 10 when he first of all says that by one offering, by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once and for all he has sanctified us so that we are sanctified. I could, if I was in a service and I said, how many of you believe you're sanctified? It would probably be, depending on what your concept of that is, whether you'd raise your hand or not. But when you see that your sanctification is based on not what you've done, but what He's done, that you are sanctified on the basis of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, then I would have to say, if you're a believer today, you're sanctified. Now that's pretty good there to be sanctified. But then he comes on down through here and says this again. He says, for by one offering, I love this, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So that our perfection in the new covenant and is not based again on your performance. It is based on a sacrifice. He has, for by one offering. Now, see, we don't understand because we're thinking about performance stuff and we don't really understand the powerfulness of the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying here in Hebrews 6. Listen, what's going to bring us into maturity is going to be an understanding of what Jesus has already done in His redemptive work. And the Scripture tells us that He has perfected forever them that are sanctified, and we were sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I don't know how much clearer I can say that, is that our perfection is not based on our performance. It is based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when you see that, what you see then is you see that Matthew 5 and the demand, be ye therefore perfect, the criteria that Jesus was laying out for them when He's teaching on the Mount of Olives, the great Sermon on the Mount, is He's trying to show them that perfection is the goal. The problem, however, is dead works and old covenant methods did not meet the criteria so that all fell short. All sinned and came short of the glory of God. But in the New Testament, our perfection is not based on our performance. Once again, the word perfection here is not a verb, it is a noun. And it is based, listen, it is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ so that our faith towards God, what, he, what, what this writer is saying in Hebrews is this, listen, we can leave, don't get, in other words, don't get hung up staying right here in the principles of the elementary things of the doctrine about Christ by now you should have, he's saying by the first five chapters of the book of Hebrews, you by now ought to have some of this stuff settled in your heart. You ought to be exercised in the word of righteousness. You ought to be established in the present truth of what Jesus did and, and, and how he bought your perfection based on uh, his uh, sacrifice. Uh, and, and, and you don't have to move from this. You need to repent from these dead works and, 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 and shift your faith 
towards God and begin to walk in uh, a newness of, of life. And, and it goes on to say of the doctrines of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. Uh, I don't know whether I can really get into these and do them justice in this one, but if not, we'll come back and pick it up again. But when I got to thinking about this of doctrines of baptisms, and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. I got to thinking, now I've preached this a lot of different, well, not a lot of different ways. I've preached this from the viewpoint of uh, like the doctrine of baptism is like you need to be baptized in water and, you know, we believe in the laying on of hands and the presbytery and, and resurrection. And I'm not taking anything from that. But as I begin to look at this in more Jewish Bibles and with the mindset of the backdrop that's here, what I really think he's saying is that we need to move on having laid the, you know, having moved on from the principles of the doctrine about Christ and having that settled. Uh, we need to move on to an understanding of this perfection that's based on a sacrifice and not based on performance. And, uh, he, and then when I thought about the doctrines of baptisms, as I looked at this in more Jewish Bibles, I found that this word baptisms was really talking about their old covenant rituals of divers' washings and uh, uh, consecrations and, and the washings of hands and, and uh, the different things like this. And so I'm not taking anything away from water baptism. I do believe in that. But I think what he's saying here is he's connecting this to old covenant stuff that we used to do. And even the laying on of hands, I started thinking of that in terms of not just laying hands on people like we do in the New Testament for healing, because I still believe in that. But I think what he's saying here, the laying on of hands, is that when they came uh, to offer their sin offerings, for instance, they would lay their hands on the head of the lamb and confess their sin over the, uh, the, the you know, uh, over that 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 sacrificial lamb, and then they would slaughter that lamb. And I think what he's saying here is, listen, we're going to move away from these old covenant divers washings. We're going to move away from laying hands on these animals to, uh, you know, to uh, transfer our sin to animals. Uh, and, and, and we're going to move on from that and, and of, of, of the resurrection of the dead. I think Paul was saying by the time you get here, you ought to have at least have an established in your heart that if one rose from the dead, then, which is Jesus, then you are no longer in your sin because He was delivered for your offenses, but He was raised for your justification. And then of the eternal judgment, to me, is not just talking about uh, you know, an eternal hell somewhere, but it's talking about a judgment that took place on Calvary that has eternal value and benefit that first of all settled all of the judgment that was being required under an old covenant paradigm. In other words, the wages of sin was death. So Jesus came and took that uh, death and that sin and all of that to the tree. So when he's talking about moving on and leaving behind these things, he said, let's walk away from this dead works. Let's walk away from these divers washings. Let's walk away from having to lay our hands on the head of some sin offering. Let's walk away uh, understanding that, th that we ought to have established in our hearts that Jesus was raised from the dead and dieth no more, and that the judgment that he said when he was on the cross, when he said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. 
We're out of time. Join us again next week. Take a moment to call that number on the screen and sow seed into the ministry. As generous as you can, it'll help us to take the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace around the world. Thank you for joining us this week again on the program. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.